Welcome to Where Are I Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where the journey of life has taken them since our glory days at New York University. My name is Cheyenne, and I'm tonight's co-host. I'm a junior from Texas, majoring in linguistics and minoring in business studies in Korean. I'm also an RA at Founders Hall. And I'm Tom Ellett, the other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate VP of Student Affairs. How are you? And you're in Texas now. I am in Texas now. Wow. How, how have you been in terms of going to Zoom and doing things remotely? How's that worked out? Um, some classes are definitely better than others. I think the best class that's transitioned well is my Korean class. My professor is really, really good at working with us and changing up things on the syllabus if they need to be. So it hasn't been too bad. Some classes are definitely better than others, though. Yeah, I hear you. I'm taking a class, too, and teaching a class. So I ex- experience it from, from both ends of the spectrum. Um, how about founders? What do you miss most? I miss my, oh, the most, that's hard. I miss my room and my residence equally. Um, I guess I miss, like, the entirety of my floor, because I would see my residents and we'd say hi to each other, have a small conversation. I'm missing Dave and his family. Um, I just miss all of it, actually. That's, yeah, I hear you. And interesting, Dave Hollander will be a co-host for three episodes of the podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, he interviewed some uh, FFIRs, so it'd kind of be fun. So. Listeners, be ready for that in the next couple of weeks. But um, we have a great guest tonight, and there's some of the things that you are studying that our guest actually has some expertise in. Who's today's guest? Today, our guest is Jeff Benjamin, who served as an RA in Weinstein during the 2011-2012 academic year for RHD Josh Hartman and RHD Brianna Matthew. Welcome, Jeff, and thank you so much for joining us on tonight's show. It's been a real pleasure having you on. How are you, and where are you? Hello. Um, yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Um, usually I would be in New York, but actually, um, you know, given the situation um, uh, of our world right now, I uh, actually, you know, safely, you know, made a drive to um, Chicago where my brother is. And I've been staying with him for this week, actually. Well, that's good to hear, Jeff. Great to hear your voice and uh, really ex- excited to have you on and, and talk about the successes and your journey of, of how you kind of landed where you are today. But why don't we start off with asking a little bit about what did you study while you were at NYU? Yeah, I um, I originally actually went to NYU and for, uh, for music business. It actually, at the time when I was a student, um, there weren't even many schools that were offering something like music business at the time. So NYU was really exciting to me um, specifically for that. But uh, actually, while I was there, uh, unfortunately, my grades weren't so great. And um, I kind of learned that maybe the business side wasn't so much what I was. Um, that was my specialty. So I actually ended up transferring halfway through um, from Steinhardt to CAS for uh, journalism, music, and graduated with a double major in journalism and music. That sounds so cool. Were you um, involved in any extracurricular activity? Yeah. I mean, my main thing was I was actually in an acapella group for four years. 
Um, they, their name is the mixtapes. They're really good now. Um, but, um, when I kind of started, we were sort of the, the underdog group. Um, they were sort of created just because there were so many kids. I, I always say that like, um, acapella groups in NYU were kind of like Greek life or something where, you know, you had your, everyone wanted to get into their little groups if you were into that. And we were kind of the group that after auditions were held, uh, if there were, cause there's so many great and talented people and singers, uh, at NYU that we were kind of the group that, you know, you got a second chance at, um, to be part of. So I was president actually for two years there. And some of my best friends came from that group that I still talk to today. It's such an interesting part of NYU, these niche communities that, uh, that we call the micro communities, these smaller groups of people that kind of right. interface with each other through other aspects of their life. Um, what made you want to apply to be an RA? Um, I mean, th- there were a couple of decisions, of course, you know, it's like, it's a very nice um, load off your student loans. Um, but um, to be honest, I, I was not living in the best living situation at the time. I, I had been living with one roommate he, who was great um, and a great friend to me from freshman and sophomore and junior year. But in junior year, we lived with other people uh, and I was living off campus at the time. And I just was missing that sort of sense of belonging, sense of community. I, I felt like very kind of just like alone and isolated in my own place, like in my own home. I was just kind of, I was like, how do I get out of this? You know? And I really, I was always interested in RA life and always talked to my RAs and stuff like that. And I think it just made sense when I really thought about it, you know, uh, trying to, trying to find that and connect that back together. And once I kind of learned more about the position and what it really was, I, I don't know, it just all made it made a lot of sense. And so it kind of brought, I actually was one of the rare ones who went off campus and then came back on campus. So what kind of relationships did you have with your residents? Um, I mean, I hope they were good um, relationships. I mean, I always really um, never wanted to be kind of like overbearing kind of in their face or anything. I mean, I always just, you know, of course, let them know, like, I'm here if you need anything, like, you know, if you ever need to talk about school, life, whatever it is. I mean, I really do take to heart that a lot of them would just come into my room a lot and just talk about any difficulties that they were having. Um, It tended not to be a lot of issues with, you know, kind of school or bureaucracy or or things like that. But I, I just ended up always kind of having these nice conversations with them just about how they were adjusting to New York or, um, you know, just their, their visions for their majors or whatever it might be. Um, I actually kind of, I've seen some of them, um, you know, out in the world today, which is kind of funny and I think really amazing too. (laughs) You know, they say New York is such a big place, but like you said, you run into people all the time uh, in, in terms of your, what you do in New York. Oh yeah. Yeah, I saw one of my residents literally in Penn Station. My one of my old offices where was uh right next to Penn Station. I was just walking through and I I saw him and you know, I said, "Oh, I've been watching what you're doing." And he he had been keeping up with me as well. So, and he's actually in music um himself, which is really cool to see. So, yeah, you just 
I mean, New York is so big, but it's so true. It, it, a lot of people say it's like the smallest big city and you just never know who you're going to see. <laughs> That's right. Talk a little bit about the skills you gained in the position of RA and how it's kind of translated to what you do today. Yeah. I mean, I think especially in, I, I've kind of, you know, at least as a journalist right now, I've kind of been all over. I've had staff positions. I, I think um, I, I've been freelancing a lot. I've always been on the freelance hustle, always grinding. Even when I had staff a staff job, I was trying to get other work and always trying to do other things. I think being an RA in particular, you have to take a lot of self-ownership and you have to think a lot about yourself and how you're going to get it done. Because sometimes it's, you know, 3 a.m. and you're getting a phone call and you can't call anyone to be like, or you can't call your boss or you can't call a friend or something to say, hey, you know, should I do this? Should I, uh, what do you think about this? You know, it's a lot of self-reliance. It's a lot of self-confidence in yourself in that way. Um, so I think, especially, and you know, that that's kind of the extreme example, but, you know, also just the way that you're going to interact with your residents or what your, um, what your hallway, um, what are they called? What are the boards called? The bulletin boards that you, yeah, yeah. the door decks, yeah. you know, oh, the door you decks, know things yeah. like that. Um, you know, just the bulletin, you know, even just all those things that you kind of have to, you know, no one kind of assigns you specific, you know, ways to be or, or specific ways to be an RA. I think it's just taking a lot of time to be like, okay, what do I want to do? How do I want to present myself? Um, and, you know, wanting to do it right, you know, you don't want to lose this position, of course, it's a very privileged position, of course, but, um, you know, also having the self-confidence to be like, I need to trust myself to do this correctly. And, and I think that was really important as I moved forward. You know, I was really so lucky to have great um, RHDs, uh, especially um, Bree, Brown and Matthew, who really instilled a lot of confidence in me. I was a very nervous um, student for lots of times, you know, especially just the changing of majors and, you know, lots of things like that made me very nervous as a student. So she really did um, help me kind of see my, uh, my, uh, you know, my strengths and the confidence I could find in myself. So I would definitely say kind of that self-ownership and self-identity you have to find as an RA. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. My um, RHAD, um, David, and my RHD, Paula, have definitely, like, helped me grow as, like, a person. So I really appreciate them for that. But also, on, like, the flip side, so after you graduated from NYU, what were your career plans and how did they change over time? Yeah, I mean, I think my career plans were just sort of, uh, let's see if we can do this. You know, I, I was really lucky. Um, I, I was interning at Billboard at as a senior um, all throughout my senior year, which was great. And I was so, um, you know, and actually it was when I interned at Billboard, that I really found, okay, this is what I think I'm meant to do. This is what I, I I'm more passionate than ever than I ever was about um, than I ever was about music business or record labels or things like that. Um, so after graduating, I, I went home for about like three months. I think I spent the summer at home, which was good just cause you know, it's a little chaotic after you graduate. And I was 
I was still not sure I was going to graduate on time. I, I was really nervous about my Spanish class. Um, there, <laughs> there were just a lot of things that um, were going on at the end of the year. But I went back home, which was nice, especially because my grandpa had passed away that summer. So it was kind of nice to be home for a bit. But um, I just kind of realized that I was like, I gotta, I really think if I want to do this, I need to be back in New York. And I was really lucky that I had an assignment from Billboard that summer that was going to kind of pay for my plane ticket. And I just sort of went for it. I was sleeping on a lot of friends' couches for a couple months. Um, you know, I took kind of like a, a retail job in a soap store. And, but all throughout the while, I was really writing, really trying to just reach more people, freelance more than ever, um, until it parlayed itself into something more. And, um, and yeah, I was really lucky by the by after six months after graduation, I had my first staff job and I was brought on uh, as a writer at another company and I was brought on to be uh, the K-pop columnist uh, at Billboard, which was a freelance, um, which was a freelance thing. And I was, I had a staff writer job at, at Fuse TV, which was, I mean, it still is a music channel. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I still don't think I ever stopped that mindset. I still kind of have always been, thinking how to expand, how to meet more people, how to just do more and, and kind of write more. And, and I've been so lucky that this sort of K-pop thing has really blown up. Um, when I graduated, I don't know if you guys remember, but that was the year of Gangnam Style and Psy. <laughs> so it was very good timing, um, just in terms of what I was doing. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, were not paying attention to this music scene a lot. So um, there were a lot of cool opportunities just to even, um, yeah, just like help the world know, you know, all the cool things that I was had been excited about for several years at that point, um, just about K-pop and, and music that was coming from Asia and, and other parts of the world. So, yeah, I, I really, I just kind of, I know maybe it's a little rare to actually stick with your major these days, but I, I did it. <laughs> Now we're going to talk a little bit about what you've been doing since leaving NYU. So um, what was your first job? Uh, yeah. Um, so after kind of like, yeah, freelancing and grinding for a bit, I uh, my first job was I was sort of the junior writer brought in. Um, it's for a place called Fuse TV. Fuse TV was very, was kind of like the... Um, answer to MTV when MTV stopped playing music and stopped playing music videos. Um, and they've kind of evolved a bit since then. They're more of like a multicultural entertainment channel now, but I was brought in, I was actually brought in as a replacement just to, um, I was only supposed to work about a month um, <laughs> at Fuse as sort of their writer and, and sort of um, helping them out as they were kind of looking for a new writer. But the position was a really great fit and hopefully I proved myself and yeah I ended up staying there for oh my gosh um almost five years I think until 2018 um and since then you know I grew I was really lucky I had a lot of opportunity to grow there I went from kind of being the youngest writer on staff to being an editor a features editor and then eventually was brought uh I got a promotion to be the editorial director and kind of got to oversee 
this team um, at, on the digital side. And so it was really, really cool and, and really valuable. And, and I became such a, I mean, I just became such a better writer <laughs> during that time and, and learned a lot. And so that was my first job. And then concurrently was always really always trying to freelance, taking any kind of odd job I could do or uh, also being um, Billboard's K-pop columnist, which is something I'm still doing today. Jeff, can we talk a little bit about the skills needed to be a journalist? I mean, you talk about doing this freelance writing. Um, how did you develop that skill? Is it just practice? Uh, do you have to love the content that you're talking about or can you write about anything? You know, I when I kind of decided or yeah, decided like this is something I really wanted to attempt and go into. I actually did start my own blog. Um, this was the time of blogs when blogs were very popular and, um, and, and could be kind of influential, but, uh, it was, I, I just really did force myself every day to write, um, because I, I was enjoying myself, of course, but I also, knew that there was something I wanted to be able to show for myself, you know, first and foremost, as a, you know, just as a writer, I didn't want to, I mean, I don't think I was consciously thinking this at the time, but I, I don't think I just wanted to show up point blank, you know, after college with nothing to show for myself. Um, you know, at the very least I had this blog where I forced myself to write every day, even if I didn't have a news thing that I wanted to write about or new music. Um, I had a song of the day that I always wrote about and always just had a recommendation for my lead, uh, for my readers. And um, yeah, I mean, but at the same time too, you know, you, I do think there was a point of passion that came from it. You know, I, I think it'd be very difficult. I mean, I always kind of say, I don't know if I could write about, other topics other than music, just because music is my, it's my heart. It really is. I, I don't know if I could do local news or, or, or even movies or TV. I just, um, I really think music is a thing I think about and where my brain is always at. I think that passion also fuels wanting to make your skills better, right? Because if I didn't care, I, I don't think, I don't think I would have worked as hard to kind of get there or, or kind of want to make myself better as a writer too. Thank you for sharing. Really important for the listeners to hear that story. Uh, it's so important. Speaking of music, my first introduction into K-pop was EXO's Overdose. It was the first music Ooh. video I saw. Uh, ugh, I, love, I love that song. <laughs> and it was uh, the entire reason, EXO actually is the entire reason that I got into K-pop. You're the K-pop columnist wow. for Billboard. Um, how did you get into K-pop? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of K-pop fans and, and you too will kind of like, especially, and, and I don't know exactly, I'm kind of curious how you even came across that music video, but um, very similarly, it was one song, one band that I'll, you know, of course, always remember. And, and actually, it was, um, it was another writer, another, uh, there were a lot of writers um, that I was following and I was very, I was big fans of, you know, even John Caramonica at the New York Times, who I, he, he was like my, or he is my idol, but um, he's kind of a friend now, but he was my idol for sure in college and someone who helped me realize how music journalism could work and what it could look like. And it didn't need to be just straight news or just the different ways music journalism could look. But he was talking about K-pop very early on. 
Um, and I, I still remember the writer, you know, who, who was writing about this, you know, the name, uh, is after school. They're a girl group. Oh my and God. <laughs> do you know after school? I do. They're a old, old school. Yes. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Um, they, they were, you know, kind of, I think they kind of, they, they weren't as active kind of when XO was really getting popular, but they, they kind of had some overlap for a bit. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I still remember, you know, this person's description of this song and this group, you know, made me want to listen to the, you know, because it is, it is kind of, you know, especially, I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I always grew up with this idea that music could be in any language. And, you know, I, I was so, my mom was a singer and, and she, uh, she, we listened to so much stuff when, when we were little, you know, the Beatles, Italian operas, she had a belly dancing phase. We, we really listened to so many things, but, um, but, you know, it is a big ask for a lot of people to listen to something not in their native language. And, um, and so, you know, those, that person's words inspired me to listen to something different. So I, I really took to heart that idea that words could um, really, inspire people to try different things so and I still remember the song it's called because of you and it was just everything I wanted in pop music it started as a ballad but then it grew to kind of the dance beat and it had a rap section and it had belting and it had auto-tune and it had whispers it just had so many elements of pop music that I loved and um yeah I think um and then of course you know Shai, you probably know this too, but, you know, after you listen to one thing, you're curious to check out another thing. You see the music mm-hmm. video and then you see the live performance and then you see, also you know, you learn about the different members. And I found out one of them had a solo album. And so I listened to her solo album and, you know, slowly but surely you get sucked into this world and it's, um, it's really fun and been definitely the most rewarding <laughs> um, exploration of my life. Tell, tell us a little bit about where it stands now, K-pop. It's so popular. And what makes it so popular? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're in such a digital ADD age right now. I think K-pop really does a great job at forcing your attention. Um, they do things a little differently, even in terms of the way that they release music. Um, you know, I, I think in America, we're very used to, oh, you know, a song comes out and then a music video and eventually we'll hear it on the radio and then another song and then maybe that'll get a music video and then eventually the album will come out. Um, But in K-pop, they're very much about like making the moment theirs. You know, the music video, the song, the whole album, it all comes out at the same time. Um, You get the first live performance of the song within 24 hours uh, and, and they move really quickly. You know, many acts, have music you know multiple album releases uh within a year it's really good especially because and any you know you want to go for longevity so it's really good to kind of keep especially young people whose attention is just all over the place these days i think it's really good at at kind of keeping people's attention but also on the music side too it's really i really do think it's like the full package of, of of entertainment you know you you these songs incorporate all kinds of genres and styles and vibes. Um, every group has singers and rappers and dancers. They, they really try to be kind of like the whole product. And I think it's just, um, it's just a really well done. It's just really well done, high quality pop music. And I think um, 
I think it's just done a really good job at kind of, you know, when there's so much out there and so many things behind for our attention, um, just to really force you to pay attention and um, be that full package, you know, not have anything lacking in that way. And it's, um, it's been really, really interesting to watch. And, and especially as, you know, comparing, you know, the American music industry that I always knew and, and kind of how these worlds are sort of combining. It's, it's so fascinating. Is this like crazy? I'm interested to see like what your prayer, like what your thoughts are on different groups trying to hone into the American market. Um, they've definitely been trying for a couple of years, first with Wonder Girls and Boa and Girls' mm-hmm. Generation, and most recently SM's venture into um, the creation of Super M right. um, and BTS's rise. So I was curious what your thoughts were on that. You know, it, it's so interesting, and especially um, I'm actually um, working on a book right now uh, with all because actually um like you were saying that that first era that first kind of generation of k-pop stars who were kind of trying to make it into k-pop that was my first year of nyu um that was 2009 and i still remember you know watching this kind of attempt and but it was really interesting because even though i knew um you know boa was like a huge diva in um in Asia still is Wonder Girls were a really popular girl group and they were coming to America and having uh, you know minor success here but they were doing it in kind of a very um you know they all sing in English um they were kind of, in my opinion there was a lot of there was a big there's a bit of a loss of identity when they kind of came here i didn't actually know the term k-pop i think until maybe 6 or 10 months later, you know, when I found after school, um, I just thought it was pop music from these, you know, from these singers. Um, I think what's been so exciting about, you know, groups like BTS and Super M and, and, and EXO, you know, was really having that early success as well. Just the fact that they didn't feel the need to change their identity. You know, they, if anything, I think BTS has honed in on the fact that like, they're like, yeah, we, we, we're from Korea. We speak Korean, you know, and, and that's our most genuine expression. It's not as genuine for us to sing in English. So we, we don't really do it because, um, and, and I think that's been so special and so important just in this sort of rise. And, you know, it's, it's been so exciting for just so much international music. I mean, two or three years ago, we had such a, you know, kind of a resurgence of, of the Latin pop scene and kind of seeing something like Despacito and, and you know, Mi Gente kind of be really big Spanish songs. And, and I think with Korean too, you know, it's, it, I think people are kind of recognizing that, oh, it's, it's more genuine and, and we're real we're connecting more with the fact that this is an expression of these artists and who they really are. Those early groups you were talking about very much, it felt like they were kind of trying to cater or change themselves to sort of American standards, Western standards, English standards, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think it's been really cool to see and really important to see these groups owning their identity and kind of sticking to who they are rather than feeling like they needed to change for this quote-unquote Western success. <laughs> I'm curious, I mean, you are really a spokesperson of sorts and an expert as it relates to the K-pop movement here in the United States. Um, how's that, how, when you sit back and kind of take it in, 
what's it feel like? I mean, you're young, <laughs> you've done tremendous work, and you're really bringing something here to our culture that's really invigorating our culture and helping to diversify really the United States experience. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I mean, you know, I, I really, I mean, it might be slightly um, just how I've always been. I mean, I was always, I always loved rooting for an underdog, you know, and, and I was totally the kid um, in, um, in school, like who always wanted to find something a little different to be a fan of, you know, like I, I really remember going up to like, other kids in kindergarten and asking them who their favorite musician was. And if they just said like the Beatles or something that their parents probably listened to, I, I would get so annoyed because I just, I wanted something different. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just, you know, especially at times, you know, myself feeling like an outcast or feeling like, you know, I'm not represented, you know, whether that is, you know, being gay or being Jewish or whatever it might be, you know, in the different ways that I've felt alone or, or as an underdog or underrepresented, you know, if I can give that to another world, another community, you know, and just show all the great things that they have to show, um, you know, why wouldn't I do it? You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to watch now because K-pop is quite popular and has a lot of fans online and a lot of people are very passionate about it. Um, but, you know, like I, I still remember kind of the, the very closed minded, um, you know, viewpoints I had from a lot of editors um, and a lot of different people, people I dated, you know, whatever it might be who, who just weren't, you know, didn't understand why I was actually a fan of it or why I wanted to focus on it or why I was even so excited about it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think it's just, you know, it's credit where credit's due. I didn't just look at a map and pick Korea out of nowhere. It really was thanks to great, you know, music, great artists, great um, outputs, you know, a great business model too. I, I mean, there's a lot of issues with, with their industry. There's a lot of issues with the music industry at large around the world, but there were many things that I was just so inspired by and so excited by um, that, you know, I just wanted to, it genuinely came out of being a fan of it, but also thinking, um, you know, how can I help lift this? How can I help people see what I see, you know, and, and just kind of hopefully create that same excitement that was created in me, you know, created in these people. And I was so lucky to, you know, we saw good numbers, you know, it's always getting good reactions. Um, it's been really, I really did believe in it um, first and foremost. And, you know, it's just, um, it's amazing just to see, you know, sometimes I get a little jealous, of course, I get a little territorial, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm like, they're going to forget about me or, you know, I'm going to be they're They're all going to get too famous. But, you know, it was really amazing. Actually, I, uh, I saw BTS earlier this year when they were in New York for their, um, their last album release. And it had been about maybe two years, almost two years since we last saw each other. And, you know, I remember really loving BTS and, and, really seeing something special in them. And, um, you know, we did their first kind of um, big U.S. interview at Billboard, but we brought them to Billboard Studios. It was really great. And, you know, it was really funny because they actually like, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, like how long has it been? You know, do you remember, you know, the studio and every, and they had like specific memories from that time. It was just really um, 
just like, you know, those warm, fuzzy feelings where it's like, okay, you know, like it's very nice that people are remembering these things. And, and, you know, even Tom, your nice comments there, it, it's really nice to hear, but I, I, I promise that it really does. It genuinely just comes out of this passion for wanting to see, you know, more representation, more visibility. I mean, you know, it's, it's just so boring to see so many things look the same and especially in music, which can be such an influential, you know, part of, of our world. <laughs> So speaking of um, all of the work that you've done, which work are you most proud of today? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm really proud to still be here. You know, I, I mean, it's I, I there's a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, in, in 2018, I my uh, Fuse, my company, my old company had layoffs and it was kind of like this um bigger worry you know I was like oh my gosh like you know am I am I done for was I was it just the company that was keeping me here you know and and um and I ended up you know 2019 was my big um was my big uh kind of experiment as a freelancer and seeing if I could do it and I did it and I made you know a decent salary and 2020 is looking better um I think I'm I'm proud that I was able to do it and, you know, live off of kind of my own work and, you know, what I've created. But um, it's really not also about just like, you know, the, the publications or the titles or anything. But, you know, I did my first piece for New York Times in 2017. And that piece, like, I mean, I had never worked harder on a piece. I truly felt like I was back in NYU. I felt like I was waking up early to do interviews. I was waking up, you know, staying up late, waking up early to do writing. Um, it was just, it, it was actually an exploration about K-pop um, popularity in South America at large. And um, it was really did I never worked harder on a story I had a lot of worries a lot of anxieties a lot of um, a lot of doubts about myself but it happened it came together and and I was just so proud that when that story came out you know I was like ah oh, okay you know I did it <laughs> um like I, I can do this you know and, and it even goes back to you know John Caramonic at the New York Times someone I read and realized so many different things about, you know, music, um, you know, being in that same publication, that was really special in that way. So, um, yeah, I was really nervous about that. I questioned everything about myself. I was like, I remember talking to my roommate. I'm like, oh my God, my roommate who actually was an RA with me at Weinstein. We all seem to need RAs around us all the time. So important. And so now it's time for you to give some shout outs besides Edward. Do you stay in contact with other RA alums? And if so, who are they? Yeah, I mean, Edward, for sure. Edward's um, still my best friend. Um, you know, he actually, he and I lived together for four years. And that was the longest I ever lived with anyone. Um so, and this was, and what's kind of funny is that we became closer after, um, after school. Uh, we, uh, we quite literally each other on the street um, near campus the day after I came back for that assignment I was talking about earlier. And we were just like, he's like, hey, you know, like, I'm here, you're here, like, let's hang out. And, and we had like a great time. And, he actually asked me if I was looking for a roommate a year or two later, and, and I was. And 
it was just like the best living situation I ever had. And, um, he's still like my, you know, best friend say he lives in LA now. I'm still in New York, but, um, I talked to him every day, basically every other day we talk on the phone all the time. I stay with him when I go to LA. Um, yeah, I feel really lucky to, um, to have him. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And, you know, I definitely am watching, you know, the other RAs I was, I was, you know, friends with and, and, and who I was um, with in that time, you know, we all saw each other a bit after school a bit more, but, um, but I mean, I'm still watching everyone and, and still kind of keeping up with them on Instagram or, or whatever it is, you know, giving them, I think I saw, um, I saw Connor Hart, um, who was a year younger than me, but I think I saw him on the subway a couple of years ago and that was really cool just to catch up with him and just see him real quick you know like there's never like I mean I don't have any drama with anyone <laughs> you know it's not like if I saw someone I would be like oh my god you know get away you know it was like it's all really positive um friendships and yeah but I, I really do you know it's so funny actually I, I was talking to Edward I think about this just the other day but I was like could you imagine if we were like better friends in college? Like, you know, like what would have that have been like, you know, because we, we like literally became each other's like brothers, you know, like after college, you know, even like, um, but I'm so curious, you know, we were, I was kind of like, what would that have been like if we were, you know, closer in in college, but you know, things work out the way that they're supposed to work out. It's now time for speed round and uh, Shai will get you through some of the questions. Okay, so number one, a favorite tradition at NYU. I mean, I think Welcome Week is just like, I mean, I was so impressed by Welcome Week just at large. Um, It's like genuinely really fun, you know, to go to Welcome Week, but there was always a... um, I think they called it like the brawl or the acapella brawl or something where all the groups kind of, they performed a song or two and it was kind of like a way to get freshmen and new students excited and, and, you know, interested in the acapella groups. And that was always special too, because um, the graduated, the alumni who were still in town or who could still make it always came back for that um, because you know, we didn't have a, a full group at that time, you know, so you would come back kind of for one last um, performance. And, um, and that was always really nice, because then you always got to kind of see everyone again and kind of have one more reunion and, you know, go back to all your little habits. Um, the Strawberry Fest was always really fun. And, you know, always like marked, like, okay, it's good weather now, you know, I'm sad. You guys can't have it this year, I guess. But um <laughs> We did. It was live on YouTube yesterday. You can go on YouTube and watch Strawberry Fest. Absolutely. The talent was amazing. Okay. Maybe I should have a, a throwback moment. Yeah. At, at... <laughs> there you go. Let me ask you another question. What was your best dining hall? The best dining hall? I mean, I feel like I have to represent Weinstein, right? Because like, I think Upstein, do you guys still call it that? Upstein and Downstein? Upstein. Okay. Yeah, Upstein. Yeah, That's Upstein. A take. Uh, I mean, it was just very convenient, you know. Um, <laughs> I think I, uh, I'm trying to think like where. I mean, um, what's it called? Kimmel was always very good, you know. Kimmel was kind of the classy one, I guess. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I was always like a, you know, I was of course crazy, so I was always like running everywhere. So I think 
Upstein had a special place in my heart because I could just, you know, grab something and run. <laughs> a Broadway show you went to see as a student. Yeah, I um I remember I saw um Spring Awakening. Yeah. Spring Awakening was like very trendy then. Like that was like the show that started Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff and kind of all these a lot of Glee alumni um started from that show. But actually I had a friend um who was in my major, my former major music business. She was a year older and she went to my high school and she was actually in the show or she was in the, she was an understudy. And so um, she kind of gave me like kind of a really uh, interesting and fascinating um, uh, look into Broadway and stuff like that. And yeah, that, that was kind of like a really good memory. Amazing show. Finally, what was your most memorable RA experience? Mm, I mean, I, I do remember, you know, lots of times just having, you know, the, the residents, coming into my place and just kind of sitting on my couch, you know, and me, me sitting on, you know, my chair or whatever, and just kind of chatting. I mean, there's not even one specific experience or, or person in general. You know, I remember kids that, from anything from having, you know, their, you know, wondering about their roommate or feeling like they were struggling to find friends to, you know, worries about their majors or things like that, or just wanting to talk, you know, those are always really special moments and things that I thought kind of went beyond um, just, you know, me making door decks or me enforcing rules or something like that. Like I really appreciated those times and those conversations and that they felt comfortable to just like come and chat and, you know, not everyone, you know, stays at NYU or it's not the place for everyone, but, you know, it was very nice. And I thought very, very special that I was able to, you know, just be there for them and, and, and hopefully, you know, be a, a, a good sounding board and a good friend and a good ear in that way. Um, and I actually, you know, I, I won, you know, the, the, the residence hall awards that they do at the end of the year. Um, I actually, I actually won one, which was really special. And it's actually like, it's a really nice award and it's still on my bookshelf, <laughs> like in my apartment, it's next to all my K-pop albums actually. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, that was really cool too. Cause you know, again, I was just always just trying to push myself and try something different. And, you know, it's not like, again, you know, you do it for the awards or things like that, but that was really cool to see my team get behind me and be so excited for me and, you know, kind of push me out there and yeah, just get like this, this nice award that I'm still, you know, proud of, you know, um, oh my gosh, you know, eight years later. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss mm-hmm. your journey and where your yeah. life after NYU is taking you. As always, yeah. if you can stay connected with our alums who are living the Dream School alumni version of life. I, I hope so. Jeff, it's true. I, I mean, really, I think what you had said earlier about lifting people up who haven't been lifted up, such an important role for each of us to play in any aspect of our life. So thank you for being a role model for us. Special thanks to my engineer, Alejandra Aravella, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasing, and to the current professional staff and the alum, and certainly Bri and Josh, who did so much, assisted these great RAs and skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the NYU RA alumni website, which lists favorite books, picks of all-time favorite memories, and so much more. Until next time, find how you can help others by being there to help lift them up. Have a great night, everybody.